When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome in to Outkick the Show, Friday edition of the program. I hope all of you are having fantastic weekends, and I hope you are ready already to have a splendid Saturday and Sunday. I want to thank the t-shirt crew. Let me see if I can sit up here so you can all make sure you see. Now, I blocked this out because otherwise I think it would be a, uh, a violation of, of rules or whatever else. But as you can well see, our OutKick t-shirt team has made me a Alabama F. Clay Travis t-shirt in honor of the gear that the Alabama fans were wearing in Coleman Coliseum uh, recently this past weekend. So I want to thank everybody for having the idea to get an F. Clay Travis t-shirt. Also want to encourage all of you out there Subscribe to the podcast. If you haven't already, uh, make sure that you click like. uh, And, sorry, on YouTube, click like and subscribe. As my kids tell me, I need to tell all of you to do. I appreciate all the comments. Appreciate all of you. You guys at YouTube in particular are phenomenal. And we're going to be doing YouTube special uh, OutKick-related content just for you guys as a result of how much we are loving everything that you're doing. All right, look. You guys know I'm a big-time college football fan. And I love college football realignment. In fact, when I started OutKick back in 2011, probably the biggest story that we chased back in 2011 was Missouri and Texas A&M to the SEC and the resulting shockwaves moving across college football and college athletics in general. As Nebraska went to the Big Ten, as Maryland went to the Big Ten, Uh, as Utah went to the Pac-12, Colorado went to the Pac-12. There's all these different moving parts. Uh, And right now, in the wake of losing USC and UCLA, there are dueling narratives as it pertains to the future of the Pac-12 and the Big 12. The story that the Pac-12 is telling is conference is still very strong. We're going to be able to do a television deal that roughly approximates everything that the Big 12 has already got. Uh, The story that the Big 12 is telling is that's not true. And if the Pac-12 schools want to make anywhere near Big 12 money, then they're going to have to leave and join the Big 12. So which of those narratives you subscribe to goes a long way towards discussing what might happen with the Pac-12 in the near future. There are reports that Arizona, Arizona State, Utah... Uh, and also Colorado, are all poised to bolt the Pac-12 for uh, the Big 12. Also, reports out there that Oregon and Washington might go to the Big 10 and that as a result, they would take smaller paychecks than other schools would get because those smaller paychecks would still be more substantial than the Pac-12. If that were to happen, if those six schools left, you'd have... Stanford, Cal, Oregon State, and Washington State adrift 
with no major conference theoretically to call home. That's a mess. So this is, if you are a Pac-12 fan, this is a critical time in your conference's existence. The SEC and the Big Ten are printing money. They are living in mansions. They are living it up. The ACC is okay, although there is some wobbliness surrounding Florida State and Clemson and their belief that the ACC's deal with the uh, ESPN that runs until, I believe, 2036 is actually not very valuable uh, relative to the larger marketplace and that the big schools in their conference deserve more money, meaning the big premium brands like Florida State and Clemson believe they're being underpaid relative to the Big Ten and the SEC schools, and I think there's some truth to that. The Big 12 has managed to save itself And now it is on a hunting mission. The Pac-12, as we know it, is rapidly in danger of essentially imploding. Now, I would argue that the Pac-12's biggest value is potentially offering a route to the playoff. So maybe there is still a way for the Pac-12 to stay viable as a 10-team conference back to the Pac-10. But this is going to, I believe, be decided in the next few weeks, and we'll see what the outcome uh, is there. So pay attention, uh, and I will continue, and certainly OutKick will continue to follow this story. Uh, Let me talk about this too. Nick Saban is upset at what Alabama is getting as its yearly rivals. And this is going to be, and already is, a major point of discussion. With the addition of Texas and Oklahoma, the SEC is going to 16 teams. I've been arguing this for a long time. I think it makes a lot of sense. The SEC is going to go to a nine-team conference schedule. Okay, They play eight now. What they are going to do, it appears, is have three yearly rivals, and then you'll play every team every other year for the remaining 12 teams. Okay, That might be a little bit confusing, but there are uh, 15 opponents in a 16-team SEC. Every two years, you would play three teams every year, same three yearly rivals, and then you would play six teams one year, six teams the next year. The positive on this, let me start with the positive, is that in a four-year football uh, usual season, right, four-year career, every SEC football player would play a home-and-home at every single individual SEC conference stadium. That is, I think, hugely important. Remember, you're listening to a guy who started off his career in many ways in sports, going around writing my book, Dixieland Delight, about going to all 12 of the current SEC schools and writing about what that experience was like. So I think home and homes over four years is wildly important. But that means that every SEC school is going to get three opponents. And Nick Saban's opponents would be Auburn, Tennessee, and LSU. And Nick Saban is saying, wait a minute, this isn't a fair three-year yearly opponent, Auburn, LSU, and Tennessee, because he's saying all three of these schools historically are really good. And what the SEC did to try to make it even was... They only looked at the last 10 years. And Nick Saban, I think he's got a good point. Nick Saban is saying, wait a minute, why don't we look at the last 25 years? Because Tennessee is cycling up right now. Tennessee is 
second or third winningest program in the history of the SEC. They just went 11-2. and two. Things are very optimistic with Josh Heupel. And Saban saying, Auburn, obviously we've got to play, but LSU and Tennessee saying it's not necessarily fair. And I understand this. It's going to be a major point of debate because how evenly balanced are all of these yearly rivals going to be? Again, the positive is every two years you play everybody and every four years you play everybody home and away. Uh, But the three yearly rival teams that you play are going to go a long way towards dictating how difficult your schedule is and trying to balance it based only on 10 years of data doesn't necessarily make sense. I think Saban's right. Um, And I do think, look, Tennessee, LSU, and Auburn, you got to play Auburn, probably want to play Tennessee. I would bet that Saban doesn't think that Alabama should play LSU every year. And of course, the conference has got to balance this out because they say, wait a minute, we want to make sure that we have as many yearly rival games and that they're preserved because that helps to drive the television ratings. So you know you can't take away the Iron Bowl. Alabama and Auburn have to play. Tennessee-Alabama is one of the biggest historic rivalries in the SEC. But how exactly do you decide who is going to play going forward based on some of these scenarios in play? I think it's a, it's a fantastic question. And, and I don't know the answer. And by the way, Tennessee, for instance, is Kentucky's biggest rival. Kentucky is not Tennessee's biggest rival. But if you talk to Kentucky fans in football, they would say the biggest rival that we have is Tennessee. If you talk to Vanderbilt fans, they would say the biggest rival that we have is Tennessee. So how do you handle those rivalry games when Tennessee also has a rivalry game against Alabama, against Georgia, against Florida? How do you balance out an even schedule? I think there's probably no way Tennessee isn't playing in-state against Vanderbilt. But a lot of people would say, Kentucky, if you got your first pick of who you want to play, they'd want Tennessee. And we know Tennessee, Alabama are theoretically playing. Anyway, it's just a really intriguing challenge to try to balance all this out. And uh, I don't know exactly what the result is going to be. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. I'm Clay Travis, and Outkick the Show is going to keep right on rolling. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I saw this from Gavin Newsom. Gavin Newsom is an awful governor of California. And he's done such an awful job that for the first time since 1850, in 2020, California lost population. And California has also lost population, not just in 2020, in 2021, and in 2022. Prior to 2020, in the entire history of California as a state, they had never lost population. It's pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. Nearly a million people have left California in the past few years. And the question is, why is that? Well, I think because people are fed up with left-wing governance. And it certainly doesn't help that there's a 13% state income tax in California. And so Gavin Newsom has responded to this 
by deciding to randomly pick fights with governors of other states. So he's been taking shots at Ron DeSantis. He's been taking shots at Greg Abbott down in Texas, so Florida and Texas. And now he's taking shots at Tennessee, my home state. And in particular, he's angry because Tennessee passed a law to keep young kids from attending drag shows. And I got to be honest with you. I don't understand why this is remotely controversial. If you're an adult and you want to go to a drag show, go. Just like if you're an adult and you want to go to a strip club. But if you took a child to a strip club or even somewhere where, as we were talking about on the radio show, the strippers didn't get fully nude, but they just wore pasties, no one would ever let you in that venue with a child. And if you got in there with a child, it would be considered scandalous. So why in the world, and probably a crime, why in the world, I don't get this, are parents taking young children to watch drag show performances? Men wearing almost nothing, grinding as strippers, it just feels very weird. Again, if you're over 18 and you want to go to a drag show, more power to you. If you that that's what you find entertaining, just like if you want to go to a strip club, more power to you if you're an adult. But this doesn't seem controversial to me. It feels to me like almost every parent out there would agree that taking a kid to a strip club is unacceptable. So why do we have a different standard for drag shows? And why in the world would someone in drag want to perform for children anyway? All of this is profoundly strange, and I don't think we should underrate or underdiscuss what is going on here. Now, Tennessee is adding a lot of people in its population, just like Florida and Texas. I think our governor, Bill Lee, has done a very good job, and I think he's 100% right on this issue. But Gavin Newsom has got a $20 billion-plus budget deficit right now. And he's focused on what's going on in Tennessee and Texas and Florida. I think he's feeling the heat over so many people abandoning his state and deciding to move to states like Florida, Texas, and Tennessee where there's no state income tax. And frankly, people are way happier. I love it here. Born and raised, I'm a rarity. I'm never leaving the state of Tennessee. This is a big deal. Joe Biden is going to sign a Republican bill that is going to pass the Senate and the House that would take away a new D.C. crime bill from being put into place. Murders are up so far this year in Washington, D.C., 40% over 2022. That's pretty unbelievable. Two months in, murders are up 40%. Yet Washington, D.C. has decided to put in place a new, more lenient criminal code that would theoretically allow criminals to spend less time behind bars. And the mayor of D.C. said, no, I don't agree with this decision. And not only did the mayor of D.C. say she didn't agree with this decision, but many different people in larger D.C. policing didn't agree with the decision, but it passed the council. And a lot of people forget that there is an oversight board because Washington, D.C. is not a, uh, a an independent state. It is regulated as the nation's capital by Congress. They have the ability to rescind certain laws that are passed. And what's wild to me uh, is it hasn't happened for basically 30 years. 
And now Democrats, as they look at what happened with Lori Lightfoot, and as they try to assess certainly what happened with Lee Zeldin in New York and his governor's campaign, the data is clear that their defund the police narrative and this woke anti-cop agenda has collapsed all around them. And as a result, Democrats are splintered on how to deal with the issue of crime. And so many different senators in purple states, sometimes red states, agree with Republicans on this issue. A lot of congressmen and women agree with Republicans on this issue. And so Joe Biden is siding with Republicans and saying this new D.C. bill shouldn't be allowed. And so for the first time in 30 years, Congress is going to overrule a D.C. bill that was not treating people who are involved in crimes with significant enough penalty. So I think this is a big deal. I will say this too. To his credit, Joe Biden has rejected the call to defund the police for this entire post-George Floyd era. There are not many Democrats who have also been on that side. And this is where I say, look, Joe Biden's 1994 crime bill. Some of you remember this 1994 crime bill. He later repudiated that vote. But that put criminals behind bars for longer sentences and led to much safer streets all over the United States. So I give credit to uh, Joe Biden on that 1994 bill, which he later repudiated and rejected. But small measure of credit to Joe Biden here for looking at the political data and recognizing that we have ended up with far too many people on the streets behaving in a violent fashion and putting more criminals back out on the streets in Washington, D.C. in particular is just going to make things worse. And that is why he is not going to veto this bill that is going to pass both the House and the Senate. This will be the first bill passed by the Republican House and in conjunction with a Democrat majority in uh, the Senate that allied with Republicans that Joe Biden is going to uh, allow to become law. Uh, This is a good result. Uh, And this is how, I think, work should be done. It's totally uh, uh, rational. It's totally within the scope of the power of Congress to do. And I applaud Congress on getting this right and trying to make the people of Washington, D.C. safer. Finally, Media Matters. Our good friends at Media Matters have a story up ripping yours truly for making the decision uh, and arguing on this show that continuing to, uh, to continuing to test for COVID makes no sense at all. In fact, this is uh, what they put up. I saw this, got it sent to me. Host for Fox-owned sports network. I'm reading from Media Matters. I'd like to thank them for helping me to spread uh, my message. Host for Fox-owned sports network OutKick, Clay Travis tells his audience to stop testing for COVID-19. I think, according to this headline, Travis says testing for a virus is patently absurd. Yeah, that's accurate. I appreciate everybody at Media Matters for writing that up accurately, helping me to spread my message. Let me reiterate it yet again. If you feel healthy enough to work, you should go work. If you don't feel healthy enough to go to work, you should stay home. That is the rule that has governed general American interaction with work and sickness for my entire life. I've had the flu before, several times. I've never had a flu test. If I felt sick 
I decided to stay home until I didn't feel sick. If I had a fever, it was a pretty good sign that I was sick. And so why do we need to change the rules as they exist for how we deal with illness where now people are out there testing themselves constantly for COVID even though they feel fine? It's long past time to return to 100% normalcy. And this idea that you should be testing yourself all the time for COVID doesn't make any sense. People are going to continue to get colds. People are going to continue to get the flu. And yes, people are going to continue to get COVID. Many of those illnesses, thanks to natural immunity, are going to be very, very minor in terms of their overall impact. I've had COVID at least twice. I haven't had a COVID test in years. So what are we gaining by doing COVID testing still at any employer? It's crazy to me. It's nonsense. It's long past time to return to normalcy and testing yourself to see whether you have a virus when you feel fine is not normal. It should be rejected. It is woke insanity. Let's get back to normalcy in this country. All right. I love all of you. DBAP unless you need to SBAP. I am Clay Travis. This has been Outkick, the show. I hope all of you have fabulous weekends. I'll be on Sean Hannity, at least scheduled to be tonight. And then I'm rolling into the weekend and chilling with my kids. I leave a little bit of uh, housekeeping. I leave Friday for Italy. So I will be gone from Friday through the opener of the NCAA tournament. I'm going to uh, Florence. I'm going to Rome. I'm going to Naples. I've never been to Italy before. I am taking my entire family for 10 days. I cannot wait. Uh, We will leave, like I said, next week. We'll have Outkick the show Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then I will be gone for 10 plus days from doing Outkick the show. I appreciate all of you. Thank you for supporting all of our different Outkick content. Go click like and uh, subscribe if you can on YouTube. And as I said, hope everybody has phenomenal weekends. This has been Outkick the show.